0: Hey, everyone. I'm Jacob Cohen Donnelly, and this is A Media Operator. This show is a discussion about building media companies for current and prospective media operators. We discuss business models, products, audience development, subscriptions, advertising, commerce, everything to help you with your media business. To learn more and to become a premium member of the newsletter, visit amediaoperator.com amopodcast to receive 10% off a yearly subscription. My guest this week is Packy McCormick, the writer and creator of the business strategy newsletter, Not Boring. Over this 40 minute discussion, we talked about why he started the newsletter and how he has grown it in earnest since the spring. I enjoyed this conversation with Packy because many people are starting their own solo operations, but are all following the same business model of subscriptions. Packy doesn't, though. He identified the right business model for his audience and is growing from there. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Let's start this conversation at the beginning. What is Not Boring, and why did you decide that you wanted to launch this publication?
1: Absolutely. Well, first off, thanks so much for having me. Um, I write a newsletter called Not Boring, um, which is essentially business analysis, but not boring, um, and so you know the journey to to kind of get here. I worked in finance, then I was at a, a real estate startup called Breather for about six years, and about a year and a half ago, I started writing a newsletter just to kind of exercise my brain. It was you know links and a really casual side thing that I did a couple hours a week to to keep my brain going. Uh, over the past six months, I kind of got to a point where it was picking up a little bit of steam. I kind of found what I wanted to write about. So the first eighteen months were all over the place. There was some community, there was reading books and talking about them. It was really kind of all over the place. Um, and then I really came back to this thing that I had been trying to avoid, which was writing about business strategy and finance and the things that I'm personally passionate about, but I thought were covered well enough. And so I decided to kind of throw some pop culture into the mix, make the tone more fun, throw graphics in there and do this like serious, real analysis, but in a more fun way. Uh, and so over the past six months, I've been fully focused on that, was you know thinking about starting a different business, decided not to, to focus on this full time. And so I'm spending now, you know, 60 hours a week making graphics and Figma and, and writing. It's, it's the best.
0: Unlike some of the other newsletters that have launched on Substack, Not Boring's audience is a bit more, for lack of a better word, nebulous. How would you define the Not Boring audience, and what have you learned about this audience that you didn't realize when you first launched the newsletter?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of my biggest challenges in life, is not wanting to focus, and it's why I like the name Not Boring, because I can do a lot of things and say that they're not boring. But I'd say that the Not Boring audience really fits into a couple of different buckets. There are startups pe- startup people. And so that group is comprised of founders and operators of startups and venture capitalists and investors. And then there is the actual kind of just traditional finance side of things. And so now my uh, newsletter is re-syndicated out on Seeking Alpha. And I write kind of deeper dive analyses on some public companies. And so I found that investor audience. And so I'm giving myself this challenge where I need to write things that both make sense to people who've maybe never heard of a discounted cash flow before, people who've never heard of different startup concepts before, but are also interesting to people who've been in both of those spaces for their whole lives. And so the way that I get around that is by not being too serious with myself maybe and not not holding myself to such a high standard that I'm not afraid to go out on a limb and just say things that are maybe a little bit crazier or more out there than other people are willing to say. And then really kind of breaking down concepts uh, in a way that's interesting to both people who've never heard of them before and people who who. who spend their whole lives doing that. So the audience, I would say, is mainly decision makers. I did a survey recently. I think 18% of the people who responded were actually founders of of their companies. And then there's a lot who kind of fit in the manager, executive, director, investor kind of category. So it's a bunch of decision makers and a bunch of different fields related to startups and investing.
0: Can you talk about how you structured that survey and how it has helped you from the perspective of what you write about? And monetize, and we'll we'll talk about the strategy and monetization in the future. But how has the survey helped?
1: Yeah, so I I think I'm maybe one of the few guests that you've had on that didn't come from media at all, right? Like I said, I was in finance, and then I was at a, a real estate startup. I wasn't even on the marketing side at the startup; didn't do any copywriting, none of that. So I went out when I decided, you know, that I wanted to do ads, and we'll talk more about that later. But I went to somebody who who was potentially going to be an advertiser, and I was like, "Cool, do you want to advertise in my newsletter?" There's this many people, and they're like all right, great. What else about those people? Who are they? What's their level of education? What types of things do they buy? What do they do? I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll get back to you. So I sent out just in a Google form uh, about a 30 30- Thirty-question survey to the audience, asking everything from their age, their role, the type of company, the industry. Um, you know, if they're the type of person who buys a new product as soon as it comes out or not. If they're the type of person who likes investing their own money or having somebody else do it for them. So, really try to dig down and understand kind of the basic demographics of the audience um, and their income and all of that, and their age and their gender, and then also a little bit more on the on the psychographic side. I hope that it's mostly influenced kind of the types of people that uh, are willing to, to advertise with not boring versus the content itself. I did ask some questions around the type of content that they like, and that has maybe shaped it a little bit. I think I've gone a little bit deeper into company uh, deep dives than I had been doing before uh, when I was doing kind of more general stuff. But for the most part, I really just want that to be something that I give to advertisers and, and just say like, this is kind of a statement of fact, and I really don't want to alter the, the content unless there was something where someone said, you know what? all of us really hate when you write about this one thing, that didn't happen. So I'm really trying to still have fun with it. I I spend, like I said, 50, 60 hours researching and writing a week. So if I'm not interested in something, it's going to be a painful process.
0: So sticking to the theme of audience, since you started really focusing on this as a potential business, what has growth been like? Yeah. So the first year,
1: um, I started writing it in April of 2019. It was called Per My Last Email then. Like I said, it was a bunch of links and listens. That first year I grew it very 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 slowly from one person to 20 people to about 800 uh last April when I decided to to go for this full time I set myself a goal of getting to 5000 subscribers by the end of the summer I got there you know within a month or two from that point um and right now 6 months kind of into doing it full time it's at about 18500
0: subscribers growing that quickly have there been any specific audience development tactics that have been particularly helpful when growing your audience? Yeah,
1: I think, I mean, the, the interesting thing about this space in general is that because everything that you're doing is so public and and with me, at least personally, when I try something new, I try to write about it as well and repurpose that as content and just let the audience kind of in on, on what I'm doing. Um, so because of that, I think a lot of things, people try, it's successful for somebody and then a million people try it and it gets less and less and less and less Effective. And so I think the first thing is just trying new things. So I think, you know, maybe one of the first sub stacks to do a referral program. And that was really helpful. I'd probably gotten anywhere between five to 10% of the overall subscribers from doing a pretty straightforward referral program, like something like the that that Morning Brew has, where if you refer 10 people, you get a shout out. You refer 20 people, you get some stickers. You refer 30, you get a t shirt. It's so a really simple stuff. But I think. Pouring fuel on the existing behavior that was people sharing the articles anyway was, was really valuable. And we'll talk about Substack, I'm sure, at some point. It would be amazing if they just built referrals in, but we, we jerry-rigged something there. Um, the biggest thing that we did was launch a landing page, very straightforward landing page, just so we had the excuse to launch on Product Hunt. And sent an email out to the list in the morning saying, we're live on Product Hunt, got a bunch of boats. got up to number two on product. And so I think that took me somewhere from around 1,000, 1,500 subscribers to 3,500 in a couple of days. And from then, it's really been up. Otherwise, it's really my focus has been mainly on the content. I've never been a great growth hacky person. I think probably if I I make a hire at any point, the first person that I hire will be someone who can kind of get creative on that side of things. But for now, my goal is really to write something every week that people want to share. And so that could be something broad that a lot of people kind of want to share, all the way down to, yeah, I wrote about Stripe. And I think everybody at Stripe read that article, and then a bunch of them shared it with other people. And so writing about particular companies, I think those people will share with the people that they know, and then they'll grow and grow and grow from there.
0: I want to expand on the referral system that you uh, that you guys built. And we will talk about Substack in a little while. But because they don't have a referral system, you had no choice but to build your own. And you and I talked about doing this. You know, I thought about doing this for a media operator. You know, can you walk through how you built that and what the process is for when people sign up for the referral system and when they refer people and how you give them prizes? Can you walk through that whole process?
1: Totally. So I'd say the main word to describe this would be manual start to finish. So the program itself is run through a platform called GrowSurf, um, which we plugged into a Webflow landing page. So I worked on this with a friend of mine, Tommy, uh, who helped me help me build this. So I plugged in Growsurf, which manages the whole kind of keeping track and, and issuing unique codes to everybody, a leaderboard, all of that. Plug Growsurf into a Webflow landing page, and then when I send an email, I say, "Hey, we have a, a land, we have a referral program. Go to this page, get your unique referral link." take that unique referral link, share it with people. When they sign up, if you get 10, 20, 30, these are the different things that happen. And you can go to this other page and see where you are on the leaderboard. From there, I take everybody who's signed up, download a CSV, upload those people to Substack. um, And then manually, when somebody hits one of those milestones, I get their address, send them a form, get their address, and then send them the t-shirts or the stickers or whatever they've, they've earned. So the whole process is way more painful and manual than it should be, but gross has been phenomenal for it. I just wish it plugged into, to sub Um, because you know, right now it's, it's a little clunkier than, than it should be. I think the number one thing that I'd love to see added to it is the ability to plug it into a particular email in a particular essay that I write because right now I'm asking people to just send their friends to a random landing page that doesn't actually have the content there. Whereas I think the more natural sharing action is saying, oh, I really like this essay. You should read this. And by the way, I get something if I share this and you sign up because you liked it after reading this essay.
0: So I want to pivot to monetization. You know, We're both built on Substack right now, and that obviously pushes a narrative of subscription first. We both saw the advertising article Digiday did, and uh, I think Chris was just, you know, his his comment was, you know, we're focused on subscriptions, that's more interesting, you know, that's what it is. Not Boring, however, is still technically a completely free newsletter. Talk to me about your advertising business. What sort of products do you offer? How did you come up with the pricing for those products, and What makes the Not Boring audience particularly receptive to this sort of advertising? Sure.
1: So you know, when I was back in April to the early summer thinking about whether I could turn this into a business, my thought the whole time, and I think we talked about it at the time, was I'll get it to about 5,000 people and then I'll turn on subscriptions, right? And so if I can get 10% of people, then 500 people are paying $8 a month. So that's $4,000 Four thousand dollars a month, and you know, from there, that's fifty thousand. But maybe I'll grow it over time. I realized somewhere in that process that one, and, and by realize, I realized—I mean, I think a lot of this was based on you know our conversation. But one, the audience and the the topic was too general to really make a great subscription product, right? Like, I think people really enjoy it and really enjoy sharing what I write, but it'd be hard to to go to your finance department and say I really need to expense, not boring for professional reasons. And so one, I think that makes it a little bit difficult for it to be a subscription product. Um, And then two, I think just putting a subscription product in place, even if I started producing more content, just limits growth. I think, like like I said, my main growth tactic so far has just been writing things that people are willing to share. And so putting those things behind a paywall just naturally limits the growth. And I was just having, frankly, too much fun looking at the number go up on my chart every week to, to put a limiter on that. And so Always, I kind of had in the back of my head that that I was going to go to subscription. But a couple of months ago, decided you know what, let me try ads first and see if this works. It's easier to turn back from doing ads than it is to uh, to turn back from doing a subscription. Kind of once you're in on the subscription side, you're in. So I put together an ad deck. I had it. I was going to send it to one or two people. Use the survey results that I had gotten, ready to go, ready to send it to one or two people. And I was like, you know what, if I have this thing. I'm just going to tweet it out and see what happens. So I tweeted out a little thread with the ad deck in it fully, the rates, the demographics, kind of anything that I would have sent privately, I just put out there publicly. And since then, I've been able to fill every single newsletter with an ad from then. So that was about two months ago. So Twitter is just really, I think, probably the number number one tool aside from Substack that I've used to, to build this thing. Um, but the ad products that I offer are pretty simple. So I write a Monday newsletter, which is really a full essay that I write. I write a Thursday newsletter that is either a guest post or some sort of investment memo on a startup that we might be investing in or something a little bit more experimental. So I have two different rates. Monday gets shared and read more. So I'd say probably about three times as many people read my Monday essays as are subscribed to the newsletter. Um, And then Thursday is closer to -to one-to-one or two-to-one. So Monday has its own particular rate, Thursday has its own rate, and then I'll do company deep dives occasionally on Thursday. So I've done two of these that I'll either do as, you know, here's a headline price for me to go do a deep analysis on your company with a CTA uh, or do the same thing, but as a CPA deal.
0: And so those company deep dives are the closest thing to sponsored content that probably exists on your newsletter. How have the readers reacted to that sort of, I mean, like you know, like I said, sponsored content? Yeah.
1: I think it's been I've been really fortunate, right? So I haven't done any outbound sales on the advertising side yet. It's all been inbound. And I think most of the people who have sponsored, not boring so far, have sponsored it because they're readers and they know what the audience looks for and they know what they enjoy in the newsletter and then they see their own product kind of in that. Um and so the two deep dives that I've done have been on Main Street, which literally just gives free money to startups. So that one fit the audience really, really nicely. And then Fundrise, which is a real estate investing product that takes advantage of, of regulation A plus a+ to let non-accredited investors invest in real estate funds. Another type of thing that I would have written about anyway, and it just kind of gives me an excuse to, to go deep on that one company. So far, the response has been amazing. Both of them have been shared. Um, a bunch of people signed up for both the products. I, overall, it's been great. The feedback was was strong. People still refer back to them. I have other advertisers reaching out and saying that they really enjoyed reading those and that they wanted to do something similar with their company. So every time I've tried something new, the first time I put an ad in in the newsletter, I thought it was going to be a disaster. It wasn't the first time that I did a deep dive. I thought it was going to be a disaster. People actually really liked it. So, so far so good, but I think that really comes back to knowing what the audience cares about, right? Like if I were writing about some product that was completely unrelated to startups or investing or was something that everybody knew about already, I don't think there'd be a lot of merit there. But because it's teaching people about something new that they can actually benefit from, I think that's what the audience is looking for.
0: So you mentioned the Seeking Alpha syndication. Can you talk about what this deal looks like and how you make money from it? So the deal
1: is no deal, right? So on Seeking Alpha, if I wanted to write my own, if I wanted to write content that's exclusive to Seeking Alpha, then they would pay me something based on the number of views. This is just Seeking Alpha reposting. And so that is all to develop the audience and to be able to attract seeking, Seeking Alpha's massive audience. I think... Each one of the pieces that they've posted on there has gotten to number one trending. So that's been nice validation, but that means a lot of eyeballs and then a lot of signups come from Seeking Alpha, which is really what I'm looking for at this point, particularly because there's no extra work. They take it, they adapt it to their site, they put a little summary together up top, and then I just benefit from people coming to
0: Not Boring. So more of an audience development strategy. Exactly. So going back to monetization... Another way, and actually probably the original way that you thought about monetizing <clears throat> Not Boring before advertising was the Not Boring syndicate, where you actually invest in startups using your audience's participation, you know, as limited partners. How does this work? How many and how many deals have you done? And expanding on that, has this had any impact on your content strategy or the type of audience you target?
1: Yeah, so this has been one of the most fun things that, that I've done so far with Not Boring. Uh, I was personally angel investing in a company called Apt. I knew the founders. They worked at, at Airbnb. And before that, there were two brothers who I first met when they were building robots that built walls and rooms uh, in, in a warehouse in in Brooklyn. So I knew these guys were really, really smart. They were launching a new company. They asked me to invest. And because their company kind of is somewhere between real estate and technology, definitely leaning more towards technology, they had a hard time to explaining explaining to people in a 30-minute meeting or a five-minute conversation why this wasn't an kind of atoms-heavy real estate startup. And so they'd been reading the newsletter from day one. They actually, before I had the newsletter, wrote, read an essay that I wrote um, on natively integrated companies and designed a lot of their thinking and their business model around that essay. And so they're like, it would be really amazing if you could just write up, uh, write up a quick write up on the company and how, what we're doing is this unique approach that's different than developers would approach it, or that's different than a traditional software company would approach it. So I didn't have a syndicate in place at that point, but I decided to write up the company because I thought it was fascinating. And I wanted to see if I could uh, explain it in a way that, that people would relate to. So wrote up that, that, essay. Uh, it was really the first kind of not boring investment memo that we did and then sent the syndicate deal flow to my friend syndicate to invest in the deal because I, I didn't have one. That syndicate filled up. The response was great. The founders loved it. They got a bunch of uh, you know actual not newsletter writer investors who wanted to participate in the deal. Um, the audience really, really liked it because I think it was a really unique glimpse into how a very, very early stage startup thinks about, you know, strategy and growing their company from a time before they even have employees or a product. So it was a good behind the scenes look there. So that worked well. Since then, we've done uh, three investments, one in a company called Composer, that's a fintech company, Uh, one actually in my sister's fintech company in Ghana in West Africa, and then one in a company called SwayPay. I write up about a 2000 word investment memo that's just publicly kind of how I would think about making the investment myself. Uh, I write that up, I send it out to the list. And then on AngelList, we have a syndicate where accredited investors can come, have a Q&A with the founder, see the full deck, get more of the deal terms. You can't put the deal terms or anything else in the newsletter, or at some point, theoretically, the SEC could crack down on me. So you keep it pretty vague in the newsletter, put the deal terms in the actual syndicate, then people come uh, invest. So far, the three deals that we've closed have been oversubscribed, which has been amazing to see. Um, and then there's been all these other benefits of having one, just kind of a full investment memo written up publicly on the company. It's something that is really a touchstone document that they can refer back to when they're having conversations with other people. Um, and also has kind of generated some deal heat and other investors have reached out and new customers have reached out. So it, it has all these added benefits and we're in the middle of doing the fourth deal right now. That one's also going well. And, and really the goal there is to do, you know, one one or so a month. I think one of the challenges with syndicates is that the incentives are fairly misaligned in favor of the person who runs the syndicate because you do receive anywhere between 15 to 20% carry or you know the upside of the deal for putting the syndicate together. So there are people on AngelList who kind of just Jam deals down people's throat because you know the best case scenario for them is getting as many deals as possible, which means as much carry as possible. For me, because it's really this long term payoff. Where the most interesting thing is being able to tell these founder stories and being able to show the audience how these things work. And then maybe if there's one of these companies works out in seven years, great. It'll be a pretty good payday. Um, But really, the most important thing to me is keeping the audience trust. So I think that's a good governor, and I wouldn't do a deal. In that, that would just be to get me carry. It has to be something that I really believe in and I want to tell the audience that I put my my stamp on.
0: So for other creators that are writing newsletters in you know any number of topics, how would you advise them to determine whether this sort of a monetization strategy is right for their business?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, like I, like I was saying before, I think there's a lot of things that people see and then do and other people were running syndicates before me. I'm not saying that I was kind of revolutionary in, in doing a syndicate but then kind of rolling funds take off and get hot and it makes sense because if you have a big audience of people who trust you and you have the ability to kind of tell people stories to an audience you can generate deal flow get carry it's a fun thing to do to be able to say that that you're an angel investor and that you're helping these companies I think it really depends right for me my audience is people who work in finance and in startups and who are the types of investors and customers and partners that these companies, might want to work with. So I think it really aligns nicely with what I do. I think the more generalizable lesson from the syndicate or, or from the you know rolling funds that people are doing is to find something unique that really aligns with all the different types of people who are involved in in your community or in the type of content that you do and something that works well. So if you write, you know, an e-commerce newsletter, maybe start a brand and do that in public and get help from people in the audience and share some of the upside with people in the audience. And I think it it really comes down to finding the thing that makes the most sense and is the most unique for your particular audience. Because I think there's something there that just makes people feel like they're a part of something new and special versus being, you know, rolling fund or syndicate number 972.
0: Are there other monetization strategies you are thinking about introducing? And because you are on Substack, do you ever think there, you know you will introduce some type of a subscription
1: and I think right now my limiting factor is the number of hours in a week um, I just had had my first kids so that's been fantastic and uh, you know just the best thing in the world and it also means that I'm sleeping four hours a night and taking care of them for half the day so any any new product that that would require generating more content myself is probably on the back burner for a little while that said I think one of the things that I would love to do, is start really kind of uh, systematizing and formalizing some of these company deep dives that I do and turning them more into research reports with models to back them up. So somewhere between, somewhere kind of like an ARK invest um, where they do a lot of work and and put it out there publicly, but maybe as a kind of one-off paid product versus a subscription model. So if I do a deep dive, I did a two-part deep dive, 10,000-ish words on Tencent and I'm building models for myself and doing a bunch of stuff in spreadsheets behind the scenes. But then because I want to keep it interesting over over 10,000 words, I'm keeping a lot of those numbers out of what I write and keeping a lot of the models out of what I write. I think there's something that I could do to package a lot of that up and really bring on someone who's a lot better with numbers than I am uh, to, to help out there, but really start packaging up these, these packs on a bunch of different companies. I think that would be
0: next. Let's talk about Substack. What do you think Substack needs to build or do to make it easier for you to continue growing, not boring?
1: Man, this one's such a, such a tough question, and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. I love the fact that they are now enabling people to get their own domains. That's been a big sticking point. That's why I did, that's, you know, aside from Product Hunt, one of the main reasons that I that I did a landing page was just so that I could build up my own SEO juice, but all my content still lives on Substack. So I love the fact that they did that. There's the audience discovery piece, and and they've done a little bit there to let people find you if they follow you on Twitter. I think there's a lot more that they can do there, but everything that I think that they should do, there's also, I can see the, the other side to it, right? So if at the bottom of every one of my newsletters, they're saying, oh, you'd also like X, Y, and Z person. At some point, there's only so many hours in a day that people can read. And so every great person that Substack sends somebody to from my newsletter is someone who might not read the next edition of my newsletter. So I, I think there's a lot of tricky balances in there. And Substack has a bunch of different audiences. I would love to see them just open up the product a little bit more. I'd love a little bit more customization. Um I would love if I could send longer emails, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but why the tracking pixel needs to be at the bottom and why I just can't send longer emails, I don't understand, Um, but there might be a good answer for that. Um, But opening it up just so I can can start kind of integrating more third-party tools that more and more people are starting to build. Right now, it's such a closed ecosystem that if there's anything good, even like the referral program that I'm using... I have to do it as kind of this separate, very manual process. I think if they kept a lot of the same things that they have now, but they opened it up a little bit and allowed me to plug in some other APIs, I'd be pretty happy with the product.
0: As far as I know, the tracking pixel doesn't have to be in the footer. But for whatever reason, most ESPs just sort of naturally do that. Um, I do know, and I only know this because we're doing a migration to sail through in my day job, they actually encourage you to put it in the header. Because of this exact reason, so I'm kind of surprised other ESPs don't do that.
1: Interesting, yeah. Because I mean, every you know, I read emails that are probably two times as long as as they can be on Substack, and I'd love for you know to not have that be such a manual process to have to copy, send out one version, copy and paste it, and do that whole thing. So that they're really minor things, but that would be that would be a big one.
0: So before we talk a little bit more about the future of not boring, I want to talk about an early idea. That you kind of told me uh, that I, you know, was really interested in, uh, which was you had this idea to raise some money through a debt offering so that you could acquire minority stakes in other substacks. And then as we were talking, we talked about centralizing the technology and doing audience development. You know, can you talk about that idea and why you ultimately decided not to do it? Yeah. So I think the idea was.
1: Micro private equity is happening on the SaaS side, and there's companies like you know, Constellation, which is which buys a bunch of software companies. It's happening in e-commerce, um, and there's Thrasio and Hi5 and a bunch of companies doing this in the e-commerce space. Now there's a lot of media businesses that end up looking a lot more like SaaS businesses, which means that you really should be able to raise debt uh, against kind of those cash flows of the assets that you're buying pay it down and keep some of the upside. On the surface from the investor side, it seems like a fantastic proposition. I probably talked to 50 different newsletter writers about it. Some people were really excited about it and it ended up being the people with either small audiences or large audiences that had stopped growing, or it was something that they were doing on the side and weren't you know, really planning to make their, their full-time business. When I talked to people who We're already fairly successful or we're pretty clearly going to be successful, either through subscriptions or through an ad-based model. Their biggest feedback was, it cost me zero dollars to write this newsletter. And every time I grow, theoretically, you know, every time I add a subscriber, I can add a little bit more revenue in my pocket. And I used to work in a job either in media or as an operator or somewhere where I had to answer to somebody. And one of the things that I love about writing the newsletter is that I don't have to answer to anybody. And Paki, I'm sure that you'd be great to work with, but I'll have to answer to somebody if you invest in this business. And that's just not what I'm looking for. So all the good people wouldn't take the money and people who probably weren't the best investments would take the money. And so there were some things that we looked into, like, could you offer centralized healthcare? You suggested uh, potentially offering legal. So a lot of the things that Substack uh, has kind of added on, uh, you had those ideas earlier on and we were looking into, but I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that a lot of people write newsletters and, and turn newsletters into businesses because it's so low commitment upfront in terms of, of the costs. And because you can you can control your own destiny, you can write from anywhere, you can kind of grow it and experiment. It's one of the things that I love most about writing. And I was thinking about it kind of halfway through. And I was like, would I take money from myself on this now that I think like, you know, this thing is growing and and I can see a path to to making real money here? And the answer was kind of no, I I wouldn't. And now I'm, you know, glad that I wouldn't have done that because I'm in a spot now where I'm making decent money and I can see a path to to growing it. And every day, I get to come down to the computer and just write, and if you know I have a baby, then I don't owe anybody anything, and I can take a week or two off, and all of those types of things, where the freedom, I think, outweighs the benefit of, of taking a little bit of money in upfront.
0: So I want to talk about the future. How do you see not boring evolving and growing over the next three years? And do you imagine it'll look similar today, or will it be dramatically different?
1: I would imagine that it will, the content I hope looks similar or at least has a similar soul to the content today. Uh, I love doing company deep dives. Um, I love doing kind of industry deep dives and just kind of guessing what the future might look at, look like and, and backing it up. I do hope that it has a little bit more structure around it. And so, you know, if I do bring people on at least part-time, that would be to help better kind of... Uh, collect and and organize the the work that I've done to repurpose it into different uh, content forms to try different types of podcasts and conversations with people. I've had this dream of doing kind of sports talk radio for business for a a long time. Um, So it's adding new content forms that I think have the same soul and the same goal of taking these concepts that can kind of seem scary or these companies that people are less familiar with and making them really fun and approachable. I want to find as many ways to do that as possible. And so if that means bringing some people on or trying new content formats or adding video, um, all those things I want to do. But I think more and more, it'll look like that. And hopefully more and more, there's you know, a growing investment component to it.
0: A couple of months ago in uh, in our Telegram group, uh, one of the other members, Leon, put a model, a spreadsheet model uh, draft out there on how you could value these sorts of newsletters. and. You know, my opinion was, you know, these businesses don't really have much value to them, uh, primarily because they are creator first companies and therefore entirely dependent on us, right? Like a media operator is Jacob's thoughts, not boring is Packy's thoughts. So if you acquire my newsletter and then I leave, do you really have anything left? Do you agree with that? And whether or not you do or you don't. Do you ever see Not Boring growing beyond just being your newsletter to its own unique media brand?
1: Man, it's so weird because I didn't come into this to, to build a media brand. I would love to bring people on. You know, I love having guest posts uh, on the site. There are some people who have come back multiple times to do guest posts. And so I think having people who kind of resonate with the audience and who enjoy writing about the same types of things that I do, but with more of a niche focus on the things that they're uniquely interested in and, and knowledgeable about, I would love to bring people on. I think it might be more of a, an informal collective than a formal media organization. But I think a lot of that is really a function of me really getting stuck in the weeds. It's, it's funny because I, every week, write about business strategy and long-term thinking and all of that. And then in my own, I'm so myopic on just making sure that I get the best newsletter out once or twice a week that I haven't really taken a step back to look out into the future. Cause there has never been a time during not boring where on Monday I didn't have a piece that was, that was due to come out. Um, so that could absolutely evolve. I'm going to probably over the holidays, take a week or two off and and really think about what the future looks like for not boring. But I I want to figure out a way to really make it feel and behave more like a loose collective than a media organization with a big ad sales team and all of that. Like I even like you know, talking to advertisers and going going out and having those conversations and figuring out what will resonate with the audience and figuring out the types of of companies that that I want to have advertised. So even something that people warned me was going to be kind of a painful part of the process is something that I really enjoy doing. So it, at some point there might come a, a time that that changes, but for now I really like doing a, a lot, a little bit of a lot of different things for an up boring. And then over time I just want to add people, uh, kind of loosely who can add something new that the audience is going to respond to.
0: So you mentioned this loose collective. Theoretically, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, theoretically, I mean, I think it looks like there are topics that I can tell resonate with the audience that I'd love to go deeper into that I don't have nearly as much knowledge as someone who's been an operator in that space. So I wrote this piece on on Tencent and a lot of it uh, dove into the metaverse and gaming and all of that. And it's something that fascinates me, but that I'll just never know as much about as someone who spends a lot of their time gaming and in Discord servers and looking at gaming investments. And so maybe I have someone who is kind of an informal contributor who shares the revenue and writes on gaming or comes on and has a podcast uh, and and has conversations with me about the topic and then finding other kind of areas that people are interested in and doing the same thing. So it's really picking kind of a staple of different people who have a more specific focus, would love exposure to the not boring audience and want to share their thoughts kind of in the same tone uh, that, that I normally write not boring.
0: So when you started this whole exercise, you were not looking to build a media company. Um, you know, you probably thought subscription first and then went advertising. You know, if you could tell Packy from April twenty twenty when you really started this full time, you know, what is something that you wish you had known then when you were starting that surprised you about this business?
1: Man, that's a really good question. I thought that there was going to be some sort of silver bullet that if I tried, I had a list in the beginning of one thousand Or 100, sorry, different growth tactics that I could try. And I went kind of seven into the list, and I would get two or three or five subscribers from each one of the different things that I tried. And then I decided to just kind of cut that out and focus on the writing and focus on making sure that the content was as good as I could possibly make it. Um, And then the audience kind of just started growing on its own from there. And so I think one is just focus on making the content as good as possible, the other is I think throughout the 18 months, even before I decided to turn this into a business, um, I was really struggling to find a voice maybe that sounded smarter and more sophisticated than I am. And it really started hitting once I just leaned into writing kind of as I am, and um, you know, just having fun with it and being you know a little bit serious but not too serious, um, and just kind of finding my own voice. And I wish I had told myself in the very beginning that. You're not going to be able to do this if you try to sound like somebody else every week because it's going to be absolutely miserable. So just kind of figure out what you enjoy writing and then attract
0: people uh, who who enjoy that style. And to expand on on that, you know, what is a mistake that you've made that either you wasted a bunch of time on or you wasted money on, uh, you know, that you wish you hadn't made? And what did you learn from that mistake?
1: Yeah, this is a good one. So I actually I got very into the idea of community. After I left Breather, I was thinking about starting a business that was actually called Not Boring Club, which is where I got the name from, that was somewhere between Soho House and college Extracurricular. So I had a debate club on the side. Um, I was experimenting with a bunch of different kind of community-based things. I started an online community. And because of that, I started diving deep into writing about community and talking to people in community and it's the nicest group of people in the whole world and it's a fascinating space and i think there's a lot of a lot of innovation happening there and a lot of exciting things happening there but there was like something in the back of my head where i was like you know i think i'm a little bit more of an asshole than this honestly like i come from finance i came from kind of a you know a strategy and operations role at a startup and it took me kind of i think taking a step back writing one or two essays that that leaned into maybe like i don't want to call it the evil side of me but like the finance side of me and realizing how much more I enjoyed doing that and just kind of fully leaning into who I was, um, to realize that, that that's what I wanted to be doing going forward and and not to to pretend there. So I don't know. I mean, they really I could have told myself on day one when I started writing that what I really like writing about is business strategy, but I tried to be I tried to find something that was so unique that even I kind of didn't fit it. Um, so I think that would that would be the number one kind of thing that You know, I love that I did it. I met a bunch of great people, but I think it was a a very long diversion, whereas maybe I could have spent another six months writing the kind of content that I'm writing now and be six months ahead of where I am right now.
0: And the final question, um, you know, I always like to ask this question because everyone feels uncomfortable giving blanket advice, but everyone's got a unique piece of advice that they ultimately come up with. Um, Thinking about other creators, that might be looking to launch their own businesses, um, whether it looks, you know, similar to yours around business strategy or more like mine, which is a very specific niche. What is some advice you would give them that would help them find the most success?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's very similar to the last one, which is find something that you're deeply passionate about because you're going to be able to get deeper into, into that world. You're going to be able to, to meet more people. You're going to be able to have more knowledgeable conversations. You're going to enjoy it. So get really specific on kind of the the topic that you're going to write about and have it be something that you love. But then experiment a lot with with how you actually run the business or the newsletter. Um, I you know Building a public, I think, has maybe gotten a little bit overdone now, but I've loved kind of being honest with the community from day one and telling people, you know, Last week I had 100 subscribers and this week I have 104, like 4% growth. That's amazing. So letting people in on the journey the whole time, but I'd say be specific about the thing that that you're passionate about and want to write about, but be open and loose about the different ways that that manifests itself.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe and give it a five-star rating with your thoughts. If you want even more, sign up for the newsletter at amediaoperator.com. Each Tuesday I analyze the latest media news. And on Fridays, I do deep dives into specific strategic and tactical topics about building media businesses. Thanks for listening and see you next week.